the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. So I just played some Alexander Dugan. um, And look, you're going to hear a lot of people say nationalism is good. Globalism is bad. Uh, No, uh, the globalist movement where we're all exactly the same. That's bad. I, I, I'm I'm American. I want to be American. You're Mexico. You should want to be Mexico. Canada should want to be Canada. We can trade with each other, but we don't have to be all exactly the same. <laughs> that That's the problem. When governments get out of control, they try to make everyone the same. That's the problem. We're all different. We should be different. Italy should be Italy. Now, can you trade with each other? Yes. But trying to make everything homogenous is not good. But extreme nationalism is also very unhealthy. The the movement that is underfoot now to poison the conservative movement and to make us truly European conservatives is underway, and its architect is Alexander Dugin in Russia. Did you notice that he said, when we played this audio a minute ago, at the very end, before he said, in Trump we trust, he said, we should help them do it. Give the people power. We should help them do it. He's speaking to his world conservative movement. What does that mean? That means sow the seeds of discontent. Sow the seeds against uh, the media, against the governments, against any, anyone he deems an oppressor. Well, just because a government is out of control does not make it oppressive. It just makes it too big and can be reduced. That's not what Dugan is looking for. The national the the um, national front, which their spokesperson is going to be speaking at CPAC, wants a France Russia alliance. That's a pretty big change, and not necessarily a good one. That they've described Putin as the religious defender of European Christianity. That's a problem. What does it mean to be a conservative anymore? I'm not sure. We've been working with young voices. And there is a contributor to the lone conservative. And he has written an article um, for Glenbeck.com. I'm going to butcher his last name. Uh, Morris Shanu. Alex Morishanu. Did I get that right, Alex? Sorry. Yeah, you got it. You oh, got it, actually, Glenn. Shut up. Um, so, Alex, you wrote this great article uh, on the things that, um, uh, that young conservatives, millennials, will love that only conservatives can do. So let me start, before we get into some of those, let me start with this. What is a conservative today? Well, what is a conservative today might be a complicated question, as I think you've 
well discovered it throughout this show so far. But uh, I would say to me, uh, a conservative, what a conservative should be is someone who believes in, to quote uh, Barry Goldwater, the maximization of human freedom. I think that's should be the guidepost of how we think of conservatives that, you know, people should be able to, to chart their own course and uh, live their life as they see fit. Are you concerned, Alex, or do you see any anybody your age concerned about this new movement towards the alt-right? Yeah, yeah, I know a lot of people, uh, uh, my Republican or conservative, a lot of them don't call themselves Republicans anymore, uh, friends uh, are, are very concerned about this sort of rising tide of sort of, quote, unquote, national populism or whatever. I think yeah. there are a lot of people who are concerned about this. Yeah. You're not alone, Glenn. Okay. So, so Alex, take it through the article, because please read the article at glenbeck.com. Uh, it, it's really, really good. You're bringing up things that are so important that conservatives should be talking about. For instance, freeing people from occupational licensing. Yeah, and so I think occupational licensing is a good way to get it in with uh, millennials. I mean, obviously, millennials at this point aren't, aren't, you know, marching for occupational licensing reform. But I think occupational licensing, uh, for those who don't know, uh, there are requirements that the government mandates that you need a license to perform 30% of jobs in the United States. Um, and theoretically, it's for public health purposes, but uh, the real reason why there's occupational licensing is just to drive up the wages of current license holders at expense of the general population. Uh, according to the National Bureau of Economic Research, it costs $200 billion a year in GDP. Mm. And that mostly comes out of um, lower income people because these are people who are being forced out by the government due to these uh, barriers to entry. And they can't find the jobs that would get them into the middle class. And so I think bringing up this issue with a lot of young people uh, would be good because young people care about sort of equality of opportunity or, or uh, you know, better wages and better living conditions for the poor. And so I think bringing these up, this is an example of a policy of government regulation that specifically hurts the poor. And so I think if you focus on occupational licensing, you introduce a lot of young people to the value of limited government while at the same time appealing to their own moral sensibilities. Do you have any idea? I mean, it takes less time to earn an EMT license than to become a licensed manicurist, as you write in your article. Can you tell me, uh, what is the, I understand even, you know, Barber, you're using a straight-edge razor. Okay, we should probably get to make sure that you know how to use that. Um, the, uh, the florist, how is, why do I have to have a license to be a florist? Any idea? Well, I mean, I, it's, it's like a lot of government regulations. You know, they're, they're supported by specific interest groups. I mean, that, that's the origin of a lot of regulation. You know, the history of, of government regulation in the United States. Uh, and there was this study done by the Institute for Justice, I believe, which is a legal advocacy group, that um, showed that they compared. So licensing tends to be done at the state level. Mm -hmm. And so they compared uh, a florist in a state in uh, Louisiana, where florists have to be licensed, and the works of florists in Texas, where florists do not have to be licensed and to a like panel of judges no one could tell the difference between the unlicensed florist mm. and the licensed florist uh so that's a really good example of how yeah. there's clearly no reason for these regulations the next thing that you say that uh conservatives can take on to appeal to millennials is is something i think really important um but misunderstood and that is incarceration take on the prison system 
Yeah. So I think a lot of conservatives, especially young conservatives, I know are already very much on board for criminal justice reform. But I think the sort of way to bridge the gap between a lot of sort of older sort of law and order type conservatives and younger, uh, more reform minded people is to think about recidivism. So in the United States, the recidivism rate, which means the rate of people who leave prison who enter back into the system um, is extremely high. It's like 76 percent over the first five years. And so um, that means that you're instead of having sort of people who go to prison for a few years and then come out and then are readjusted to society, you end up having people who haven't learned any skills, who haven't adjusted socially, who are just going to end up going back to whatever criminal activities they were doing beforehand because they can't enter the workforce. And so focusing on once people get out of prison, um, introducing them back into the workforce, uh, which is, you know, A, that means lower spending on uh, prison um, on incarceration, as well as, um, you know, a better economy if, if they can get out and enter the workforce. Alex, you also take on uh, higher education. Is that something that millennials will get behind? Yeah, I, I think so. So the example I used in the article was uh, Mitch Daniels at Purdue University. Mitch Daniels, the uh, great former governor of Indiana uh, and office of management budget director, um, he, when he took charge of Purdue University, he uh, froze tuition and um, managed to compensate for that by slashing administrative spending. Now, um, administrative spending, according to the uh, known right-wing rag, the New York Times, um, has been the leading driver of the drastic higher education cost inflation. Um, over the past 20 years, administrative spending is up 60%. Versus instructional spending, which is only up 6%. Wow. Uh, and so Mitch Daniels, he went after administrative spending, hasn't increased tuition in, uh, I believe, six years that he's been, have been there. A- applications have skyrocketed. And um, he's also introduced a lot of new technical options, shorter ways to graduate, online options, which is sort of good, innovative mm-hmm. uh, policy. And applications have skyrocketed. So clearly... Uh, millennials have responded to these policy changes. Talking to Alex uh, Morishanu, he is um, with um, youngvoicesadvocate.com, uh, and um, uh, we are seeing now a, a movement of high school kids that say they're going to march on Washington to have guns repealed uh, and our gun rights repealed. What what do you think the approach to millennials should be from people who understand the second amendment? Um, I think the key is not to go after these kids personally. I mean, just separate yourself, separate from politics, going after someone who experienced a mass shooting less than a week ago is just very, um, I think gross and wrong. Um, But I think the key is when you're approaching a lot of these issues is to talk on the policy level. Don't sort of attack people either like for being millennials uh, or, or, or go after them personally or just focus on um, just focus on rebutting their points and then presenting your own solutions. I know National Review has had a lot of good articles recently about alternative solutions to gun, contr- uh, to, to gun violence that don't infringe on the Second Amendment. Um, I think that is a smart way to go about it and just have sort of a reasonable case don't make it don't make it personal and um yeah i i I heard some somebody said to me yesterday that they 
Um, and it, they said it may just be from reading social media, but I have, in fact, I think it was Stu. Uh, I have less faith in humanity um, and our ability to escape doom uh, the more I listen to people on Facebook and social media. Um, I have faith every time I speak to a millennial uh, and I and I really listen to them. But I hang out in, you know, circles that kind of generally are people like you. Um, when you see the general uh, population of millennials, do you have optimism? I mean, it depends who I'm talking to, but uh, I mean, I, I would say, I mean, I would say that, uh, you know, I, I think there's always a chance. I don't, I don't think that uh, generations' opinions are, are frozen in stone. That's not a phrase, but anyways, um, I think there's a lot of room for conservatives to actually make a case to millennials um, in a way they haven't done before. I think a lot of what conservatives are doing is is often spending a lot of time trying to rebut or debunk sort of progressive ideas about universal health care. But I think what, if we put forward our own positive message, rather than just being sort of anti-socialism, uh, uh, I think that would be a, a good way to sort of change the game with millennials. And I think, there, I, I think there's, always, there's always hope, you know? Great. Thanks, Alex. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network.